0: This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Matt Castle is here. Wonderful discussion on the remaining quarterbacks, remaining offenses in football, a little defense talk too. Really enjoyed his insight. Then we got a couple of Tom Brady stories. I loved, and then a, a Jason Witten story that came out of nowhere that I uh, made me laugh. Although probably shouldn't because it was about a punctured lung or something like that. Um, but that's uh, only in football do we uh, do we have a chuckle fest about that kind of stuff. Um, reminder. Five-star reviews help us, help support everybody here. Uh, five-star reviews. If you're, I mean, you know, if we earned it, if we earned it. I think Matt Castle helped me do it today. Um, breaking news before we went on today. Jim Harbaugh is a new coach of Los Angeles Chargers, officially, um, per multiple reports earlier this afternoon. And then the Chargers themselves tweeted, who's got it better than us, which is the code, which is the bat signal. Um, I do not think, obviously, a national championship head coach is not a normal coach. Um, Literally, this month won a national championship at a school that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it's not even, hasn't even been Ohio State as far as consistent winning goes, um, let alone Alabama, Georgia, schools like that. He brought that program back. Um, But... I felt like, I know this sounds crazy, almost underrated in the context of this coaching cycle, because I think we've forgotten the miracles that he performed with the Niners. I don't think he he burned himself out and then they went into the wilderness with Tom Sula and Chip Kelly and only to be rescued by Kyle Shanahan. But that was a self-inflicted wound. Hiring Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco was one of the best coaching moves of that decade. It was stunning. They went from 24th in offense and 16th in defense the year before under Mike Singletary. Remember how that bottomed out? It was as hopeless a franchise as there is in the NFL. Like culturally, locker room wise, talent wise, 24th in offense, 16th in defense. They immediately, under one year of Jim Harbaugh, with a roster that nobody considered to be like, you know, the, the underachieving, just on the precipice of greatness kind of thing. They went to 11th in offense and second in defense. Did he have good assistants to help him? Yes, but that's the point. He hires good staffs. He maximized the roster, which is the best thing you can say about a coach. Um, they went 13-3 and in year one. A stunning turnaround. The next year, they made the Super Bowl. Remember, they lost it, a brutal NFC championship game um, the first year. Alex Smith interception rate cut in third rating went up eight points from one year to the next, and then the following year went up twenty-two points from the last single-terry year. Ironically, in that year he was benched for Colin Kaepernick, but that ended up being a good move overall for the for the team. Um, just an added added dimension. Obviously, right now the Chargers have the two biggest problems in sports solved: quarterback and coach. They are not as good as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That's the best duo in the sport. But they're going to be right behind them. They're going to be probably the second or third in the AFC quarterback coach duo every year, would be my guess. And when you're in the mix like that, little wild things happen, and you make the Super Bowl, and then you win the Super Bowl. They're going to be consistently good, and they're going to win a Super Bowl. My guess is Jim Harbaugh wins a Super Bowl within five years. Now, the reason I'm putting that time—I'm not trying to be a coward—I'm just letting you know that the roster and the cap situation is really, really bad. And there's going to be an old, expensive roster right now. They're going to have to retool. Um, they don't have an, a GM right now, so I mean, like, we have to kind of pump the brakes on what the next two, three years will look like. But what I do know is they're going to take a roster. They're going to maximize in the short term. Maybe they'll exceed expectations this year uh, in 2024. But you have to remember, he took that offense and and defense and made them tough. He made them disciplined. He made them organized. Guys like Frank Gore were obviously leading the way as far as the culture stuff goes. Um, you think about the defense, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis was obviously there before Jim Harbaugh, but he took him to the next level under Vic Fangio, um, Dante Whitner, Alden Smith, a bunch of young guys who were just veterans. Justin Smith got them into the fold. It was a amazing, well oiled machine. If Jim Harbaugh had stayed there and didn't have the conflicts of Trent Balky, didn't have the conflicts of Jed York, they would probably would have won a handful, probably two Super Bowls in the interim years. Now, obviously, that's it. like, first of all, it's it's his personality. He rubs people the wrong way. That's fine. But he did stay, what, eight years, nine years, uh, 2015 to now um, at Michigan. They got through a bunch of BS between themselves as far as you know, some contract problems. There was he tried to go coach the Vikings a little bit and they won the damn national championship. And they did it after the Connor Stallions thing. So he was, you know, whatever you want to attribute to that. Connor Stallions, when, when he was spotted, by the way, was at the Orange Bowl, not the Sugar Bowl, which means he wasn't even spying. So there was no spying going on in the National Championship and all that stuff. What he did was he built a team through a mixture of recruiting and the portal that was tough, that had identity along the lines, had quarterback play that was good enough to get it done, and had a run game that set the tone. That's what they'll have in Los Angeles with one of the best young passers in the sport. I'll take away young because he's on a second contract, but one of the best passers in the sport. The roster will be maximized. The Chargers had to do this because there was a sensitivity to two things. Number one, that they were cheap, and number two, that they were irrelevant in the Los Angeles market. Both of those things, the reason they're sensitive to that is because it's true. Both of those things are true. The Spanos have not been good owners, and the Chargers have not had a ton of fans in the Los Angeles market. And I mean, I I was talking to a Chargers fan earlier today and we were kind of joking, like, where are the Chargers as the most popular football team in L.A.? Because in no order, I think the Raiders and Rams are probably some combination of one, two. I think the Niners are in the mix there in the Southern California region. And I think the Cowboys are in the mix there, frankly. Um, Remember, there were 20 years there when there weren't. Football teams like I think habits formed the Chargers needed to do something to get out of that rut and the fact that they can do this get an identity have a coach everyone understands is good is as big a hire as you can make it's really hard really hard for me to say anything else when a hire happens other than we'll see I love the Brian Callahan hire. Love the Brian Callahan hire in Nashville. I've spent time with him, interviewing him for different stories. I think he's the most thoughtful coordinator there is. I don't know if it's going to work. Like, I truly don't know if it's going to work because I've talked to Brian Callahan. I've seen him coordinate an offense. You know what? I haven't seen him do coach Tennessee Titans. Really hard to really hard to project that out. So I take sort of a uh, Socratic wisdom thing here, where I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. But I can say for certain, there's a proof of concept with Jim Harbaugh, and every place is has gone that he makes it better. And I think you're going to see instant results in the micro sense, but it's going to take a while. There's going to, have to take the medicine as far as roster stuff goes. It'll be two or three years before you see what Jim Harbaugh is actually capable of. Who's got it better than us? Nobody except the chargers. Um, I will say um, one funny kind of story about, the way I never told the story, the way that Harbaugh gets buy-in. This is at the Biltmore for an owner's meeting. Kenny Williams, the White Sox Gian, bet you didn't hear his name coming. He was um he was at the hotel bar because like it was during spring training. Was owner's meeting and spring training overlap. So like Clayton Kershaw would live at the hotel and you'd see him and that'd be a whole weird thing. He'd be like, Why is there so much media here? It's not for you, buddy. It's not for the Dodgers. Um, but Kenny Williams, one of the guys who lived there. So sitting at the bar and I recognized him and I lived in Chicago for a little bit. And I was like, hey, Kenny, I uh, just introduce myself with the Wall Street Journal. I was like, I'm here. He's like, what are you doing? I'm here for the owner's meetings. And he says, Jim Harbaugh here? I said, yeah, yeah, Jim Harbaugh's here. And he's like, if you see Jim Harbaugh, like walking around, can you like flag him to me? Like if you see him? And I was like, sure, sure. Like what, what's the deal here? And he said, um, he said uh, his son played on the Niners. And if you remember his son fumbled in that brutal NFC championship game. And everybody had it out for him. Everybody wanted him cut. Everybody wanted to, to run him out of town. And Kenny Williams said, the support and love that Jim Harbaugh showed him, his son, in that moment, he said, it's unlike anything he's ever heard in sports. And he wanted to see Jim Harbaugh and thank him as a man for the love he showed his son. And I don't know if you win games because of that, but uh, it's culture. And Jim Harbaugh is a stone-cold weirdo. Stone-cold weirdo. And you're going to hear a bunch of stories about how weird he is. I had a story on him once. He told me that the reason he plays catch with kids, like on recruiting visits or, or you know draft visits he did with Garoppolo, is because he wants to size them up. He thinks, how hard you throw and how hard you catch, can I pelt you with the ball, is a sign of toughness. He is a stone-cold weirdo. But you know what else he is? He's a damn good coach, and you're going to see that soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Castle.
1: Playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
0: All right, Matt Castle's here. NBC Sports, longtime NFL quarterback, first-time guest. What's going on, brother?
1: Oh, not a whole
2: bunch, man. It's been an exciting weekend of football. I'm fired up, but at the same time, it's that time of year where you're sitting there and you're kind of you're getting close to the end, and you're like, "No, I don't want it to end. I don't want it." So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you got to enjoy it while it lasts because every football season finally does abruptly come to an end, and then you're on to the next thing.
0: I always say whenever we're complaining about some, you know, Bears Commanders Thursday night game, I'm like, guys. On March 30th, you're going to be begging for Bears commanders, just begging, saying one more quarter, just one of, more, please. Sam Howell throwing the ball directly into the dirt. That's all. That's all you're going to want to see. <laughs> um, before we get to this, when I was doing research for this pod, I had never seen the Matt Castle, Danny McBride, K Swiss commercial. You kind of nailed it. You, both you and Danny McBride, nailed the delivery of your lines. I had never seen that. Danny McBride is a comedy god. I mean, you, you kind of crushed him, Matt
2: it's pretty funny because we went down there for that actual the the shoot itself and danny mcbride is one of the funniest human beings i've ever been around we're sitting around that little boardroom and we're we're going through these things well they didn't give me like a script beforehand and it was a lot of improv because that's what danny mcbride's used to so we're sitting there and they're like look just flip up the deal and then go through the line and then talk to the audience like you would if you're actually pitching some some of these ideas so we started going through it And the funniest part is at the end, when I throw that shoe and I hit the guy that's not paying attention, (laughs) right? I did the first take and I throw the shoe and I was like, they don't really want me to crush this guy, this actor that's sitting in there on his shoe. He's probably less than 10 feet away. So I throw it and they go, cut. And they go, Castle, we want you to F this guy up. That's why we're paying. (laughs) So for the next like six or seven takes, I am firing a shoe at this guy's (laughs) hands and busting them all up and the other part is when Danny McBride throws that muffin from directly yeah. across the table at him I mean we must have had five cuts of him throwing different size muffins at him I mean he crushed his face he had it underneath his eyelid it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen I was like what just happened I felt so bad for this poor guy I hope he got paid a decent <laughs> amount but because he got crushed during that segment
0: Oh my god. Yeah. Um well it's now it's now uh, YouTube lore. Um before we get to the NFL, you're a proud USC Trojan, obviously. Um if you're the Bears GM, is Caleb Williams your guy and what can whoever takes Caleb Williams expect your one?
2: Yeah, you know what? I'm always impressed with Caleb Williams, what he's done. And really, he hasn't even played that much football. This is really about two and a half years of starting and what he's accomplished, what he can do on the field. His skill set is so vast and unique, and he's generational in terms of improv. improvisation, improvisation. got to get that out, got to get that out, that's a tough word, and what he can do. Now, the big thing for me is when you're looking at him and you're trying to identify, okay, where can he get better, I think some of it is just staying within the system because he's so confident in his abilities to get outside the pocket and make plays down the field that sometimes he'll bypass a wide-open guy. I wish I had that skill set where I could be like – I'm going to bypass the five yard out that I know is open because I'm going to run around and throw a 40 yard bomb and you know make it happen that way and get on ESPN. But I think that that's what evaluators have to take in, to take into consideration with Caleb Williams is he's not a finished product yet. But from a competitiveness standpoint, from a winning standpoint, from a guy that can go out there and make every throw, and he's got arm talent and he's got that special skill set. He's got all the ability to go out there and be the number one pick.
0: So the next the four games coming up here, it's it's really fascinating. I I, I think with the exception of the Lions um i think all three defenses are incredible they get after the quarterback and the Lions obviously have Aiden Hutchinson but it's not the depth of the other right. um, the other three teams is there a defense that stands out to you where you're saying man it would be a nightmare to be a quarterback against one of these three defenses or well, if like more, you, you throwing the Lions
2: yeah great question cuz you you look at all those three defenses that you just mentioned yeah. and they're all elite defenses and they've been good and solid throughout the course of the year but when you look at Baltimore to me That's one of the most challenging defenses to go up against because schematically they have so much variation in the back end. They disguise really well. They bring pressures. They show you pressure one way, they bring it the other way. On the back end, they're always moving guys around, and they're so successful in doing it because they've got – veteran guys that know have played in the system they know what to do they know how to disguise and bait you and so for a quarterback it's never one of those situations where you come to the line of scrimmage and you're looking around going oh I've got the this guy's playing off right now I know they're in cover four I'm gonna take the quick hitch it's always that reactionary thing that you have to have where you're it's that guessing game of you've got to be able to sit there and say oh wait okay, it's now post-safety and get over to the other side of your read and not panic and stay within rhythm. And so that's yeah. always the challenging part for a quarterback and an offense to go up against a defense like Baltimore, who's one of the number one pass defenses, but they also can get after you and pressure you, make you uncomfortable in the pocket.
0: Um, Staying on Baltimore here for a second, the thing that I don't understand about Lamar Jackson that you do because you're a quarterback is what? Like what makes him special that would just – That I've never even thought about as far as just um, the way he's able to operate in the pocket, the way he's able to get downfield, all of this stuff as a quarterback. um, And obviously, listen, he he is so unique in that you're going to see things he does and and you're going to say, okay, I couldn't do that. Um, But just from a passing standpoint, um, a, a pocket presence standpoint, what makes him great?
2: You know, uh, he's evolved, right? And every year he's gotten better and more comfortable. And now they've surrounded him with more weapons. So I think that brings confidence as well. Because when you have guys on the outside that you feel that can go win, then you can throw that ball with anticipation and let it rip and not have to be questioned, is he going to come out of his break at the right depth? Is he going to beat this guy man-to-man coverage? So that gives you a lot of confidence. But also, he's got a poise to him in the in the pocket. He's able to move and create, obviously. We know he can take off with his legs. But he has subtle movement patterns inside the pocket that he's gotten so much better at. And even last week when you watched him play, there was one time where Houston – wasn't able to get pressure on him, and he just sat back there. He was calm. He was poised. Yeah. He went through his read, and he was able to get the ball down the field. So the big part for him is he's been remaining a passer, and he waits until he has to take off and run, protecting himself really well. Other other than that, though, he remains a passer, lets those guys get open, Let them do their thing and get open downfield, and that's really where the success has come for him, more so this year than the other year.
0: The Lions, obviously, you played for the Lions under Matt Patricia, um, and this is not a, sp- a Patricia-specific point because the Lions have been very bad for a long time. Right. Maybe some of that was uh, above the coach um, and just sort of how they how they went about things in the organization, but the culture change that Dan Campbell has, has done in just three years is remarkable. It's one of the best turnarounds from a franchise standpoint I've ever seen. Um, when you think about where Detroit was – um, for not only when you were there, but the, 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 the post-Barry Sanders years before that, um, to where they are now, what stands out?
2: Dan Campbell, man, it's been extraordinary. The leadership, Dan Campbell, and what that organization has done, the message that he had coming in from his first press conference on, and really setting the tone and giving these guys something to grasp onto. You know, he talks about grit, he talks about we'll play anybody anywhere, but it's a mindset that you've got to have when you go in and you're trying to change not just the culture, and I know a lot of people use that word, but it is. It's culture. It's environment. It's making guys believe in what you're doing. It's pushing them to places that they didn't know that they could go. It's going out and getting a guy like Jared Goff, who obviously the Rams didn't want anymore, and everybody was saying, hey, he's going to be a bridge guy, and letting him build confidence in the system. And then it's also – Look, they've been able to draft really well because they've been drafting very high in the draft for many, many years. But that offensive line, it starts with them up front. They're one of the best. They're big. They're physical. They've played yeah. together for a long period of time. You bring in a guy like Jameer Gibbs, who's been outstanding for him, for them all year long. He can do it in the run game, pass game. So they've complemented Jared Goff with a great offensive line, running back, the pieces on the outside. And then the defense has gotten better each and every year. But at the same time, I'd say this is more of an offensive-centric system in, in terms of they're going to have to score points and this defense is going to have to make plays and be opportunistic like they were last week against Tampa Bay when they got the tur- two turnovers.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I'm curious, and this this might be a slightly offensive question, so I'll ask it carefully. So you come in in 08, mm-hmm. and everybody... Knows what that system looks like. You come in for the literal greatest quarterback of all time. Randy Moss is there. Wes Welker's there. The line is there. You would just come, uh, the highest scoring defense of all time. Um, and not just that, they had the innovation in 07. You know, the first team ever to, to run a majority of their plays in shotgun. A lot of the spread concepts. It was, it was a miracle. It was a football miracle what happened in 2007, even with the, the pieces that are already there. So you come in in 08, and it almost felt like, okay, you. Um, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. You're at the helm. It feels a little bit with Brock Purdy now, where it's like, okay, you know what? You're just in there to run the Shanahan system. You have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, you have George Kittle. When you're in there in 08, are you sitting there and caring about how much credit you're getting or listening to the noise or you know, the, listening to the caller on talk radio saying, oh, Castle, he's just a product of this, this, this? Is it frustrating, or are you able to kind of block it out and say, this is an incredible opportunity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not care what the noise looks like?
2: It's an incredible opportunity, but you definitely hear the noise. I mean, there there's yeah. no way that you can get away from it, especially in the media age that we're at now. There's even more more people that are able to get access to you through Twitter, through social media, and whatever it might be. So you, you hear it, but part of being a quarterback is being mentally tough and having mental fortitude and being able to block that noise out, concentrate on the job, get into a routine week in and week out. And look, you're, you're, you're dealt the cards that you're dealt. And as a quarterback, you sit there and say, look, we've got a great team. I've got to go out there. And whether it's manage the game, whether it's make the big throw at the end of the game in the two-minute drill to help the team win, whether it's this week, hey, look, this defense struggles against the run. We're going to run the ball predominantly. And then when we have those opportunities and they want to load the box, we're going to take our shots. That's part of being a quarterback. I I always hate when people go, well, he's just – He's a game manager. That's the number one thing you have to be as a quarterback. (laughs) The number one thing. Now, you've got to make plays. When, it, when it's called upon, you got to hit the open target. But the way in which Brock Purdy has played throughout the course of this season has been outstanding. I mean, the, his yeah. anticipation, his uh, ball positioning to his catch-and-run guys to where it's a catch-and-run offense, right? They want to get the ball into those skilled players' hands and make them go go make plays. And he does it at a really high level. He knows the system. He gets them into the right plays with the check-with-me game. And so he's, he's just different from what we see now in today's game with the, you know, the the quarterbacks now are the, you know, 4.0 version of what we used to be where it was pocket pass, use your mind, use your mental capacity, know where to go with the football. Now you see all these guys with these extraordinary skill sets, but at the same time, Brock Purdy can do it in a different way, but it's still going to be successful because that's how they built that team. And that's no fault of his own.
0: I completely agree with you. The game manager thing, the system guy thing. Well, guess what? Brock Prody's really good at running the system and there's a bunch of guys who have proven to not be really good at running that system. So I'm sure it drives you nuts when you hear like, oh, so-and-so's a system guy. But yeah, that's the point of football,
2: right? That's exactly the point of football. I mean, in uh, not to beat a dead horse right now, but you know, you look at the yeah. Eagles. They're stacked yeah. with the wide receiver position. They've got a great offensive line. They've got first-round picks all over the defensive side of the ball. They weren't able to be as successful this year because they, they kind of stalled out at the end and didn't have that momentum going into playoffs, and eventually they lost. And so when you look at a team like San Francisco and the sustained success that Brock Purdy's had – it speaks to the man himself, and you can talk to George Kittle, you can talk to Debo Samuel, yeah. and they will resoundingly say, "Hey, he's a dude. Like he, he's a yeah. guy that that's why we work." And we saw last year when he went out of the game against the Eagles in the NFC Championship last year, and what that did to that offense, and how they just became inept. And so, again, it goes back to what. Brock Purdy offers his team in understanding the offense and what Kyle Shanahan's trying to get done, and that's how they call the game. We'll be back with Matt Castle after this. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards.
0: Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. 21 and up must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem? Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana. Indiana call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bozier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY.
1: Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: I can't believe we've gone this long without mentioning Mahomes, um, the best quarterback of his era. Um, When you watch him... And you say, "God, I wish I could do blank." I wish I could just steal something from Patrick Mahomes and put it into my career. What would it have been?
2: Gosh, you know, I, I think I'm always in awe when I watch Patrick Mahomes. You yeah, know, whether whether he's throwing in rhythm, but I, I think the main thing that I always am so impressed with is when he's able to move within the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, around everything. And his accuracy, you know, he doesn't always – he doesn't put the ball in harm's way. A lot of people when he first came in, they're like, he's just a gunslinger. He's got a tremendous arm and all those things. But it's the way in which he manipulates the pocket and defenders, makes them come up and come off the, the guy that they're actually covering and then still has the vision to see that or make a throwback. Like the stuff that he does, no no quarterback coach or offensive coordinator sitting there you're saying, hey, yeah, definitely. Anytime you see that guy way back across the field <laughs> – You just stop your feet and rip it, right? It's like the ultimate no-nos half the time. But the reason why they're so successful is because there's so much confidence that he does it and he's shown it year in and year out that those plays are just part of who he is. And that's what makes him such an exceptional player.
0: Uh, A lot of it is borrowed from baseball um, Mm -hmm. and his sort of – the confidence, the cal- the calmness that comes along with baseball, and um, he's he said before, like his his long toss, you know, he literally just does baseball warm ups. He played baseball for a right. while, I and mean, it just seems like uh, he just he just kind of knows where to go with the ball, and just kind of you know, it's like he's like he's turning two sometimes. It's crazy.
2: Yeah, the different arm angles he uses, yep. and again, and it's also the feel that he has, when to use the arm angles, understanding that this defender's jumping right here, he's got to get it around him, or he's making the throw down the field and he's running one way, but he sees and feels that guy going that way. And there's definitely, he said it before, and you know it as well, it's very, it's out there in the public. His baseball background, I think, has something to do with his abilities in the unique way in which he throws the football, and he does it – I mean, he does it from so many different angles you're sitting there going, what? And then also, like, when he's running to the sideline, he'll underhand it. And, like, who does yeah. that? But, like, the confidence that you have to do that. He's just an incredible athlete.
0: I thought it was funny the other day when the report came out that Bill Belichick um, wants to coach a talented, underachieving team. Well, frankly, that's most teams with a coaching o- opening. If they weren't <laughs> underachieving, they wouldn't have fired the previous coach. The only team that's not talented and underachieving is probably – Panthers because they're not talented but um, I've gone back and forth on this because I feel like it would be so cool for Bill Belichick to have gone and obviously these these jobs are no longer open, um, to a Philadelphia or a Dallas and just get an awesome roster and just maximize that talent. It would be so cool to see him game plan from one week to the next. Um, A place like Los Angeles with Justin Herbert, let let that talent kind of thrive. When you're thinking about Bill and and what his next chapter is going to look like, um, do you have a team in mind? Do you have a type of team in mind where you'd say, man,
2: I know Bill, he would thrive with this? Well, I think, Bill, you put you put a collective talent around him and he'll thrive. You, you see, the game hasn't passed him by. You saw how that defense yeah. performed this year. Obviously, the offense had their struggles throughout the year. They couldn't figure out the quarterback position. Mac Jones, they were hoping that they, he was going to rebound from last year and what took place with Bill O'Brien, but that never really came came about this year. And so it must have been a frustrating year in that sense. But when you look at Bill Belichick, I mean, I know – he still has a desire to coach. That was very obvious when he had his closing press conference with the New England Patriots that he was probably going to be on another sideline. Now, the big question is for him is do you go to a place like Atlanta that has a lot of salary cap space, but a lot of young talent on the offensive side of the ball. But again, Mm -hmm. you've got a quarterback issue. You got to figure out the quarterback first and foremost, but I like what that roster has to provide. It's just a matter of, whether or not he's going to be able to go there and be able to rebuild that over four or five years because Mm -hmm. he is, what, 70 years old, 71 years old. So Mm -hmm. how much longer does he want to do it? I don't know, but I know that he's that close to that all-time winning record, and Mm -hmm. he's a historian of the game and always has been – one of those guys that would come in and talk to us about the history of the game and all that stuff. So he, he, he respects that aspect of it and I think he can still do it at a really high level. It's just a matter of where that next spot's going to be for him.
0: Tom Curran says, I have to ask you about
2: wrestling Tom Brady. Oh, I whooped him. I served him up. (laughs) I served him up some humble pie. Yeah. Well, that was in my younger years when my testosterone was through the roof and I could lift and run and do all those things. But in the offseason, Tom and I were we were competitive in everything we did. We were lifting partners, sure. whether it was pickup basketball, whether it was golf, whatever it might be, but we would, we, he was like my big brother. Right. And so I'd always be nagging him and stuff. He's like, okay, let's go. Uh, I'll kick your ass in wrestling. I was like, dude, come on, you don't want any of this. And he's like, let's go. So then I grab him, I body slam him, get on top of him. And right at that moment, it was so funny. I'm sitting there and I hear two voices Get off him, Castle, what are you doing? And it's Rodney Harrison and Richard Seymour. And they're literally like <laughs> jogging down the field at me. And I think they're gonna kick my ass. And I'm sitting and they're like, dude, what are you thinking? And like, and not in that, in that nice of tone, right? And he's like, you know what would happen, Castle, if he got hurt right now while you dumbasses are wrestling? I was like, yeah, I'm probably not gonna <laughs> be here tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, that's right. Don't touch him again. I was like, okay. Good deal. I was like, but, you know, a little bit of bragging rights, a little bit of bragging rights for old cat's dog there.
0: That's amazing. So, you know, Belichick's told the story about playing, I think, Pebble with Brady and, like, the ball went on the rocks and Brady was just, like, hanging off because he wanted to get the ball back in bounds. And everybody in the group was like, dude, you're going to die. Like, you're going to fall off the cliffs. And Brady was like, yeah, whatever. Um, When What's the most unhinged competitive experience you've ever had with Tom Brady in anything, whether it's golf, pickup, hoops, whatever?
2: Gosh. I mean, there's been multiple, but it is funny on the golf course. He he does things on the golf course and he loves like the, anybody that wants to bet we're, we're betting. And if he makes a putt, like he made a putt one time on 18 and it was probably like a 10 footer and he went berserk. I thought he broke his club he's throwing stuff. He's like, yeah, talking smack. Like, and I'm like, dude, this is golf. Like what are we doing right now? But that's, that's who he was. Like he was ultra competitive in everything we did, when it was on the football field, it was a different, it was a whole different capacity, right? He took it to the next level. He held people accountable. He wasn't afraid to call people out. He wasn't afraid to scream at the offensive line or Wes Welker or any of these guys. Like that's just who he was. And you accepted that. And that's what made us great was because it was not just the coaching staff holding you accountable, but it was the main dog. And he was going to bring it each and every day. And even at practice, when it was, you know, uh, in the off season and and we we didn't really have anything. We're going through plays, maybe trying things out. He's always critiquing. He's always making sure that they knew what the, he expected out of them, and that that way, when you got in the game and the timing and all that stuff was always on track. Like he would hold. Mm-hmm. He would hold after practice we'd have just the quarterbacks and wide receivers and re-watch yeah. seven on seven re-watch route patterns the night before the game he put together a tape and we'd sit there and watch the opposing defense and go through their different skill sets how we're going to attack them a hey, reminders here mm-hmm. when you do this you've got to stack him on that go route yeah. or when they're going to try to undercut you on this end cut so make sure we're coming downhill so it's those subtle reminders that was a fabric of why we were so precise in that passing game
0: I love that. Brandon LaFell once told me that Brady in Miami, they get down for warmups and he's making them stare into the sun to catch passes. And Brandon was like, what are we doing? And he's like, you're going to have to stare at the sun to catch a pass. So like, you better get used to it. And they, Sure enough, like, you know, 40 minutes later, they were like, thank God we did that sun work. Um, we'll get you out of here on this. It's called Badasses. It is the most badass person you ever played with. Um, it could be from any team, any level of football. Just somebody when you think this is a badass. I was around in football. It can be anybody. You have the floor Matt Castle.
2: Gosh, I want to say so many different names here. Like, I've (laughs) I've played with so many different guys from Adrian Peterson. Look, Tom Brady was a badass in his own right. Of course, Stafford had a broken back one year, played through the last four games with a broken back. But one guy that I always think of when I think badass was Jason Witten in Dallas. I mean, the way in which he approached the game, the intensity that he brought every single day – just was contagious. And I never forget we were playing, I think it was Washington, and I threw him a ball, he got hit in the back. And so the next day we had like the the organization had like their Christmas party or whatever. So we went over to his house. We were pre-partying and I was cracking jokes and he's laughing. And he's like, oh stop, don't make me laugh. And so he goes through the night, we get into the facility in the morning and he's got like a cracked rib, but he's got they had to take him to the hospital because he couldn't breathe. This dude goes oh in God. on a Tuesday to the hospital. He had fluid in his lungs. It had filled up in his in his one lung. They had to go in and pump the fluid out. And I thought, well, that's the end of his year. There's no possibility that this guy's coming back. And sure enough, on Wednesday, he's out there in shorts. Like, he's not practicing. Thursday, he does individual. Friday, he practices. He plays on Sunday. He had a, a hole in his lung and the guy got it drained and just would go out but that's the type of guy he was he he was all about football he loved the game he was a great communicator he's a great leader and i have nothing but respect but he was a badass
0: whoa jason witten welcome to badass we're gonna put his photo up back here right what who am i looking at willie rofe right there we'll put him right there uh matt castle thanks so much for coming on man uh mbc sports that was terrific thanks so much man
2: absolutely anytime man